Well, again, good morning to everybody, and uh, great, uh, great to have you here. Um, if you haven't noticed the colored insert in your service folder, um, really encourage you to take it out. Uh, the the fill-in-the-blanks are designed to be some of the main points of the day and could be a, a great way for you to uh, take home a little bit of what, uh, what we were uh, learning today home with you, and uh, hopefully it continues to, to direct you during your week. Um, you know, there, there are certain days and events that have happened in world history or in your life that you can just vividly remember where you were when they happened. Uh, so, for instance, uh, from a, a generation or two ago, I know that I've heard that Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor was one of those days that everyone who was alive on the day that that happened can just vividly remember where they were and how they felt. Um, for some of you here in this room, maybe it's the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. I know that tends to be a, a big day for, um, you know, a generation. Um, for me, being as old as I am, the uh, shuttle Challenger, I think it was like in third grade, and we all kind of huddled or went into the library to watch on the one big, huge 800-pound TV that they had those days, you know, to, to watch this uh, teacher go off into space only to see it explode. Um, but probably the day that strikes the most resonance for people, what they think about and where they were for those of us who are at least 20 years old and older, man, it's been that long ago, is 9-11, um, I can vividly remember where I was uh, living in Green Bay, a pastoral intern, and how I felt that day. Uh, I remember when that first plane went into the building and, and watching it on TV, and uh, many at the time thought, well, maybe it was just the pilot who kind of was asleep at the wheel, so to speak. Something horribly wrong went well with that pilot, or went wrong, yeah, with that pilot. But then when the second plane goes into the second tower, you, you become, it becomes really clear that it, it wasn't uh, just an accident. And then there's the third plane at the Pentagon and the fourth plane that ultimately uh, crash-landed in, in Pennsylvania. But that's a day that we remember if you were alive. And in fact, part of it is that a lot has changed. Everything kind of changed after that event. Not everything, but a lot of things. Um, the way we do things changed, at least in part. Remember uh, the days that when grandma came to visit on the plane, that the whole family came with signs by the gate and she came out of the airplane tunnel or whatever and you're able to all greet her right there? Like, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, the way we view things changed. Uh, that many of the, our greatest enemies do not wear uniforms from certain countries, but instead are more secretive and, and, and different than that. And then terrorism became a much more common word that didn't, wasn't just something over there in the Middle East, but was right here in the United States. There are these events that we remember. There's these events that the things that, the way we view things and the, ch the way we do things change based on what happened on a particular day. Now, in a very real way, Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a day like that, but of much better results and much greater influence. Everything changed 
And, and I think coming off Easter, coming off that celebration last week, um, where we were very clear that the reality of the resurrection is that someday when we die, that we don't need to fear it because, well, death is not the end. That in fact, the Bible very legitimately calls death just a sleep. And the difference, the idea of sleep is that when you fall asleep, you wake up again, right? And that's what death is for those who believe in Jesus. It's just a sleep. And so as Paul writes, we, can, we grieve at death, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world that has no hope because death is not the end. It's just, it's just a sleep into eternal life when we're risen again. But one of the dangers for a Christian one of the dangers for us is to view the resurrection of Jesus and to think, well, that is something that benefits me in the future, but has no difference or no bearing on me in the present. The reality is, is that the resurrection of Jesus changes the things we view and it changes the things we do right now. And this series called Greater is all about that. It's about five different ways that the Bible talks about that our lives here on earth, not eternally, but here on earth, are greater because Jesus rose from the dead. And so I get to start us off this week with, with that, the first part of that. Jesus' resurrection makes things greater. To get us going in week one, um, wondering if any of you have ever had plans for your life. I know some of you aren't sure what your plans are or trying to figure it out, but have you ever had dreams about what your, your life look, would look like? And maybe you're one of those people that sort of put together an entire wedding scrapbook when you were like seven years old. Now, this would not be any of the guys here today, but some of you ladies maybe did something like that. You had everything planned out. You had dreams. You had goals. Now, here's something else that, that I know that very rarely, well, put it a different way, never in anyone's life do all of their dreams and all of their goals and all of their plans come to fruition exactly the way they had hoped. I think of, uh, I think of little kids and, and some of the things they think about the future. You know, have you ever asked a, a little kid, maybe your son or daughter, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And some of the answers that they have just kind of make you laugh. Um, my fifth grader, Elias, not anymore, but a while ago when he was less, much less mature, you'd ask him what he wanted to be when he grew up, and his goal was to be a race car driver and a pastor at the same time. And I was like, all right, you know, you kind of want to encourage your kids to go for their dreams. And in the back of my mind, I'm like thinking, okay, that's going to be difficult because you know, Elias, that a lot of races happen on Sunday morning and so does church. And he said something, something like this. He said, well, I'm going to be different than you, Dad. I'm going to have short services and then I can get to the racetrack in time for the race. I can preach and race both in the same morning, you know, and... That still might happen. It's not his dream anymore, I don't think. I uh, didn't want to crush his dreams. But some of the goals we have, we come to recognize maybe weren't the best goals in the first place or the best dreams in the first place. Things change. But then there's these other dreams that you still have been holding on to. When's the first time 
you realize that an important goal, an important dream for your life, an important plan wasn't going to happen. And how did you feel? <laughs> maybe, maybe it was when you were in college and the first time it happened and, and you realized that uh, you were not going to get into the school that you had always wanted to go to, whether it be because of grades or because of finances. Um, maybe, maybe it was... Uh, when you realize that the person you thought you are going to spend the rest of your life with, you weren't because they broke up with you before freshman year of college and trying to figure that out. Maybe it was in the midst of a relationship and it, it was when the divorce papers were signed and you had never planned to be divorced, but here you are. Dreams not happening the way you had thought. Maybe it's in your, your professional life and where you wanted to be is not where you are. And as you look at things, you're probably not going to get where you wanted to be. Maybe it's a loved one who passed away right as you were going to retire with them. Or maybe it's a parent or a grandparent that seemed to have been taken away much too early. It, I don't know which plans of yours didn't come to fruition, but here's what I do know. You can relate to plans not going exactly the way you wanted. And here's what I also know. Sometimes that lack of fruition can cause us to spend years and maybe even decades in a sort of sadness over our lives, in a discontentment over our lives because things aren't exactly the way we want them. There can be a void there that can be very difficult to deal with. Now, I, I have, I hope you're expecting this, some really great news for you today. I'm going to share our first fill-in, and then I'm, we're going to talk about why it's true. So I'm going I'm to give you some really good news, and then we're going to talk about why it's true. Here's our first fill-in for today. That unfulfilled plans don't have to mean an unfulfilled life. That, that even though even really important plans to you didn't necessarily happen the way that you were wanting, it does not mean that you have to live a life that feels unfulfilled. Now, this doesn't happen with a snap of the finger, but there's a very real way that God leads us to, to have a fulfilled life no matter the circumstances of our life. And there, I can't think of anyone better to talk to us about this than a... Uh, a pastor from the first century um, named Paul. And here's why. He can totally relate to plans and goals not happening the way that he had charted them as a young man. You see, Paul was a strong believer in God, and he was passionate about being a leader in the Jewish faith or Jewish religion. And when he was in his early 20s, he was like a religious prodigy, and so to speak. He gained heights of influence and power in the, the Jewish, Jewish faith uh, at a younger age than probably anyone else before him. He had prestige, he had fame, he had power, he had wealth. This was Paul. 
And it seemed as if all of his dreams were, were kind of being fulfilled exactly the way he had hoped. He, he was living a fulfilled life, fulfilled in the way that he had always thought it should be. But then something happened. What happened was the, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, spent time with Paul, and that just totally messed his world up in what might look like a bad way at first, but in an absolutely marvelous way. You see, this hater of Christians, one of his goals was to exterminate the Christian faith, became one of the greatest Christian missionaries who ever lived. But his plans as a young person, as he pursued God's plans for him, his plans didn't happen. In fact, a lot changed. He went from being very wealthy to having almost nothing. He went from being very powerful to spending most of the latter portion, most of his life on the run and even in prison. And yet, if you were to ask him if he had a fulfilled life, he would have answered absolutely yes. And I think that's what makes his words that he writes and that we're going to read in just a moment, so legitimate. Because he's not reading in high platitudes of, you know, this is how you should be. He's, he's writing from experience. He's writing by the direction of God, but he's writing from experience of probably a mental and emotional experience that he had gone through too as he thought about his plans and then where he was towards the latter part, part of his life. So I'm going to read the words in their entirety first, and then we're going to break them down a little bit. Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to look at four verses. Paul writes, Since then, you, talking to some Christians in Colossae, uh, Colossian Christians, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set also your mind on things above. Don't set your mind on earthly things. Verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So those are the verses. Let's look back at verse 1. What's Paul saying? Two things. One, set your mind on things above. Paul is expressing the importance, whether positively or negatively, of what you and I spend our time thinking about. What is it that you think about the most? And honestly, you're the only person that, well, you and God, you're the only person that knows that. What are the things when you don't have anything really that you need to think about that you're daydreaming about? What are the things that you put most of your mental energy towards? Paul's saying it's important to think about the things you think about. <laughs> Secondly, he says, set your hearts on things above. Now, in, in the Greek, this idea of setting your heart, uh, the, the, the heart is kind of the central part of the body, and, and what you set your heart on is that which is most important to you. It's a very similar idea to what you think about, but what is it if someone had to say, what is the most important thing in your life, what would you say? But maybe more importantly, not what you'd say, but what is it really? 
What is it as you sit here that's the most important thing in your life? Now, now here's, here's an interesting thing. What you think about the most and what you set your heart on has the primary influence on how you feel. Our second fill-in for today, and then I'll, I'll unpack it a little bit. The way you feel will be affected by the way you think. So if, as an example, in my life when I was uh, a kid, um, one of the things that I, I thought about the most during my elementary school years was uh, sports cards. Anyone else like sports cards here? All right, a few, few guys willing to, okay. Yeah, and so I would, I would think through my day, through the view of sports cards and, and spending some time down at the sports card shop uh, uh, downtown because that was the only way you could get certain cards because the internet had, you know, Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. Um, um, I thought through my allowance through sports cards, and I, I really found that and I found the greatest joy looking back on it and, and sometimes the greatest uh, lack of joy based on how sports cards were going, which sounds really shallow now that I think about it. But, you know, if I got that Dana Kicker rookie card back in the 80s, I mean, I was just on top of the world. But then if I didn't get the card that I wanted or the set that I wanted, I mean, I was, I was down about it. Now, nowadays, I could care less, to be honest. I mean, I still like Dana Kicker, but... But you put my card in your bike spot. No, I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't admit it, no. I don't, I've bought in a pack of cards recently. It had no effect on how I felt that day. Here's why. It wasn't that cards necessarily change. It's that I don't think about them anymore. I don't, I don't care about them anymore, really. So they don't affect how I feel. If you think most about your job, it is going to affect, your job's going to affect you most about how you feel, whether good or bad, successful or not successful. If you think most about your kids and how they're doing, that your kids are going to affect the most, you most of how you feel. And I could go on and on. What you think about the most is what affects how you feel the most. So, Paul is saying, what if we thought about heavenly things more? Like, clouds and angels and harps. No, not really. What if we thought about our lives through the lens of eternity more? What if we looked at today not as an isolated event that's all about today, but as one little blip on the screen of an eternal life that we have? What if we thought through our job through the lens of eternity? What if we thought about our kids through the lens of eternity? What if we thought about our time through the lens of eternity? What if we set our minds on eternal life in that way? What would happen? Things would change. The way we feel would change. So here's how to have a better fulfilled life. Just go home and change how you think, because that's easy to do. <laughs> I mean, that's so helpful, Ben. Thanks for telling me just to change my mind, right? It's hard, isn't it? The mind is the most powerful part of the body, and it is the hardest one to control. 
You literally cannot control your mind. You can control it better, but there are thoughts that come into your mind every day that you never intended and wish you didn't have. It's hard to control. So this isn't just like go home, change how you think, all right? It's bigger than that. What Paul leads us to, guys, as as you look for a fulfilled life, as you look towards setting your mind on things above, is an entire paradigm shift in how you view first yourself. And he connects these two things together beautifully in these verses. He said, set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above. Look what he connects it to. He connects it to a resurrection So set your heart on things above. How or why? Well, do it because because you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above or hearts on things above. Same kind of connection in in verse 3 where he says, set your mind on things above because you died. Now, we're going to unpack this in just a moment, but I I want you to see a connection. There's something that happened to them in order then for them to change their mind and to change their heart. It started with a change. Now, this almost sounds like, you know, The Walking Dead or something like that, okay? I know some of you binge watch it. I don't know if it's good or not. I haven't watched it myself. But this is not a, a community who all had died. God went, Jesus went to the cemetery and then raised them all back to physical life. This is not a resurrection like that. You probably could have guessed that, but I just want to make it clear. This is a different type of resurrection. You see, on the last day, you and I, by faith in Jesus, are going to be resurrected from the dead. Literally, our tombs will be empty, and we'll get our bodies back, but they're going to be better. They're going to be perfect. You know, all the dreams you have for your body and and wish you had, it's going to be there on the last day. Now, I don't know that for sure. I just know they're going to be glorious bodies, okay? That's on the last day resurrection. So what's this resurrection? Do you know there's a resurrection before the resurrection? That there is a raising to life before the last day. Let me explain. It has everything to do with your identity. So if someone were to ask you who you are, It's interesting to listen to what the replies are or what do you do, but probably better who you are. How would you answer that? I think a lot of us would mention our job or a lot of us would mention being a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a student or a basketball player. How would you define that? In a very real way, because of our sin, if God was asked that question, Before Jesus died and rose, his answer, and I know this is hard to hear, but his answer would have been sinner. That is our primary identity before Jesus Christ. In fact, it gets a little worse. The Bible says that before faith, we were enemies of God. In essence, we were not friends of God. We had no relationship with him. But what happened is this that when Jesus died, it was as if our old identity died too. 
We're going to sing a song at the end of this service that, that talks about the, a glorious day where, where we come running out of the tomb. Here's what happened on Easter. Here's what happened because of the resurrection. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we received a brand new identity. No longer does God see our sin, but instead, although we still sin, you are defined by a different word. You and I are children of God. You and I are people who are most defined by having a relationship with God, both for now and for eternity. And, and there are so many things that come with having a relationship with God. All of them are good. Who are you? What if every day we lived in a way in which we recognize that our identity was that of a child of God? No more, no less. This leads us to our, our next fill in the blank. Um, you're not who you used to be. You're not who others choose to see. You are who God made you to be. Now, this middle line, I don't care what age you are, you need to listen. There are too many days of our lives or even years where we live according to labels that other people gave us. And if we think about it, especially if it was a negative label, it comes from people that don't care about us anyway. So why do we care about their label? There's labels like jock or nerd or I don't even know if people, do they use that word in high school anymore, nerd? I don't know. Nerd is kind of a cool word nowadays, I think, right? I don't know. Um, not that you're a nerd. I just, you're in high school. You're in high school. Right? Um, beautiful, ugly, in, out, fit, fat, all these labels. And so many days, we, we go to bed in tears and, or at least feeling down because we've allowed other people to label us. You're not who other people label you to be. You are who God made you to be. What if we lived each day recognizing that our primary identity was that of people fortunate to have a relationship with God through Christ. You know what happens? Your mind starts to change. You start thinking about different things, and you start thinking about things differently. You know what happened to me when I became a dad? It's exactly what happened. Now, dad is not my primary identity. My primary identity is what? Okay, Child of God, okay, just making sure people are listening, okay? That's all of our primary identity, all right? But it is a part of my identity. I, I think about everything differently since I became a dad. What I say, when I say it, how I act. I think about social media differently. My kids don't like it. I think about that. I think about it differently. Um, I think about um, electronics differently. I think about sex differently. I think about everything differently. But it's not just I decided someday to think about things differently. It's that I recognize, here's who I am. I'm a dad. That makes a difference. I better start thinking about things differently. You're children of God. 
How does it affect your thoughts? What does it mean for what you think about? Now, it doesn't mean that every Christian should just take a, a vow of poverty and not work for success at their jobs, okay? In fact, Christians should work the hardest at work with right balance because they're using their gifts to God's glory, not just to their own glory, okay? This doesn't mean that we need to be shoot for unsuccessful in life and then we're all good. No, 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 no. It just means that while we go for success, it's not what defines us. It's not the main thing. Two things happen when we recognize our identity. Let me read verse 4 first, and then we'll get to them. It says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Who's your life? Christ is your life. I love my wife. She's not my life. And if she becomes my life, I'm sinning. Christ is my life. She's pretty close up there, though. <laughs> your kids can't be your life. If you are, or if they are, you've got things skewed. Christ needs to be your life. Your job can't be your life. Christ is our life. Our cabin is not, I don't have a cabin, but let's just say I did, is not your life. A vacation is not your life. Christ is our life. Here's what happens. First of all, Next fill in, there's hope then in every circumstance. When you realize your greater identity because of the resurrection of Christ and then your resurrection, we receive a greater identity or we receive hope in every circumstance. Have you ever run into people where they've just gone through something horrific? A husband passing away, um, a really tough miscarriage, uh, job loss, everything was taken from them type of thing. And then you're just kind of amazed at how well they're doing. And it doesn't mean they're not crying sometimes. It doesn't mean that they don't get sad. It doesn't mean they don't have bad days. But it's just like amazing how balanced they are and how healthy they appear. I know some people like that at this church. You know how that happens? It's, it's when Christ is our life. It's when we view today through the lens of eternity and the things of this day and this life become just a little bit smaller, a little bit less important. Okay, so my, my child didn't get picked for the baseball all-star team. Oh, it's okay. I mean, dads, we probably care more than our kids sometimes about that stuff. It's just, it doesn't matter really in the grand scheme. I don't know if you've ever had a vacation that you were looking forward to, and it made the things at work feel a little less important on Friday because you knew that you were going on Monday. It's kind of like what eternity is. doesn't mean that we don't care. It just becomes less important. Next thing. And also there's fulfillment in every season. There's fulfillment in every season. When we realize that our fulfillment is not carrying out the plans of who I thought I should be, but simply carrying out the plans of who I am, a child of God, no matter where I've been planted, there's fulfillment in every day and in every circumstance, even, even in the difficult ones. 
I know having unfulfilled plans and dreams is difficult. And I know that this is going to be a continuous battle. And much like many other sermons, it's not going to be like, oh, we had a sermon on that, now I'm all fixed, okay? This is a daily struggle. But I truly believe what Paul shares with us is that it goes back to who you are. And that will affect how you feel. Next week, we're going to pick up with part two as we see that the resurrection of Christ means that we have a a great unity with others and we can accomplish together what we wouldn't be able to do on our own. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of worth and value that we have, not because of anything we can do or can't do, but because of what your son Jesus has done. Lord, may I live each day in the promise and the fulfillment of being your child through him. We pray this in Jesus' name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.